Amen. Turning your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 20, it says, My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Notice verse 23, it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. This word issues means force, spiritual force. The Bible's telling us that we put in motion, let loose spiritual forces by our attitude toward the Word of God. Now notice that it, it mentions four things to do here. It says, my son, attend unto my words. That means put the word first place in your life. You know, there's a lot of, uh, there's an unlimited number of uh, sources or places that we can get information. But above every one of them out there should be the word in our lives. Attend unto my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. And see yourself, that means see yourself with the answer. And keep your heart with all diligence. When it comes to the subject of healing, it, work, it works this way in every area because the devil's the same no matter what. He, and while I'm talking, why don't you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. But particularly when it comes to healing, you always have to have an answer for the things the devil brings to you. One of the key ingredients to receiving your healing is to have an answer for the things that he asks you or challenges you with. Now over in Ephesians chapter 6, we'll start reading in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You see that phrase or that word wiles? The wiles of the devil. If you look to the source of that word, the, the true meaning of the Greek word that's being used here, it means traveling over. Now that doesn't make much sense to us. But notice it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the traveling over of the devil. Now folks, the devil has only one way to operate against us, and that is through deception. That's his only tool. He's not strong enough to overcome the power of God. Now, he has a right here on the earth because of Adam and Eve's original sin in the Garden of Eden. He has a right to be on the earth. He has a right to tempt us. But he doesn't have a right to strong, to strong arm us. He does not have a right or the authority on the earth to force upon you what you refuse to have. Now, what happens generally is the devil brings tragedy or sickness or disease or whatever it might be, whatever, he's throwing, whatever he throws against us. And because people don't know, because of their lack of knowledge, their lack of understanding about the authority that's been given to them, or their lack of understanding about the power of the word, they wind up being crushed under the devil's foot. They wind up being overwhelmed and taken over by the work that the devil brings against them. But it's still the same thing. The devil's only trick, the only way he can operate is through deception. There's not many times where the devil comes to us and says, I'm the devil. I'm the one you're supposed to resist. But he always works the same way, and that is through the mind. Folks, the mind is the battleground of faith. Now, the Bible talks a lot about keeping your heart, keeping your heart with all diligence. But it still comes down to the battleground of faith being the mind. And I'll, let me prove that to you. Here where it says, 
Put on the whole armor of God, verse 11 of, Hebrew, of uh, Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Now notice what he's saying. He's saying you have the ability. You've been given spiritual armor that is sufficient to resist the devil, to overcome the devil, and to overcome whatever he brings. It's just a matter of us putting it on. How do you put on the armor of God? By renewing your mind to the word. See, the only road the devil can travel is deception. But if we put on the armor of God, if we renew our mind to the word, and that's what putting on the armor of God's all about. It's about understanding what's been given to us. In fact, let's go ahead and keep reading with verse 14, and then we'll come back to these comments in a few minutes. Having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked, and take unto you the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Every one of those things that are identified as the armor of God or pieces of the armor, if we could say it that way, every one of these things have already been given to you. When he says put on the breastplate of righteousness, he's not telling us to do something new or to gain some kind of righteous position with God that we didn't already have. When he tells us to use the shield of faith, he's not saying that we need to find the shield of faith and put it on or to use it effectively. These are all things that belong to us already. Concerning the truth, our loins girt about with truth. Jesus said that if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So when he tells us to put on these things, put on truth as a, a, a belt to gird your loins with, he's talking about come to the understanding or renew your mind to what already belongs to us. He's talking about renewing our mind to the truth and the power of God's word. Remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17? He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Well, the gospel of Christ could be identified as the word of God. That's how we know what Jesus did for us, right? That's how we know the good news of what Jesus has done. So when he says, put on and gird yourself, gird your loins with truth, isn't that the same thing as Paul saying, renew your mind to the truth of the word and recognize what you have? See, he's not telling us to do something we haven't already done. He's just telling us the importance. He's identifying the importance of renewing our minds to what belongs to us. You've already been made righteous. If you never on this earth come to the place where you accept that you've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. And a lot of people won't. A lot of people, a lot of Christians will live throughout their whole lives thinking that they're unworthy. Well, that's not true. Why would they think they're unworthy? Because they bought into the lies of the devil. And unfortunately, a lot of times the ministry has helped us along with those things by preaching doctrine that contradicts what the Word says. I heard a lot growing up in Southern Baptist Church, I heard a lot about what I didn't have and what I wasn't. But I don't ever remember anybody ever saying or reading the Scriptures, preaching, on, preaching or teaching on the Scriptures about being righteous, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We didn't know. Good people loved God with all their hearts. But they didn't know and they couldn't tell me. 
So when Paul talks about these things, he's talking about renewing your mind to what these things are. Renewing your mind to the fact that you already possess these things. So he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having all, done all to stand, stand. Now again, back in verse 11, stand against the wiles of the devil. Folks, if the devil has only one road to travel, and that is the road into your thought life, if he only has one road to travel, shouldn't that be a good indication for us where we should put up our defenses? Shouldn't we recognize that since that's the way he's coming, that's the way he's going to attack us, it's the only way he can attack us, shouldn't we put our guard up in that area? That's what the Bible's telling us. The Bible's telling us, recognize, don't be ignorant of, of Satan's devices. Don't be ignorant of how he works. Don't be ignorant of the fact that he doesn't have the power that he's saying that he does. And you're not who he says you are either. He wants to lowball you and highball himself. So that's where we need to put up our defenses. That's the place where the knowledge of the word of God heard, believed, and acted on will win every fight, every battle. It'll chase away every sickness. It'll chase away every disease. Let me show you another scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Beginning in verse 3, Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, I don't know what teaching you've heard, and, and I, I don't hear much of it anymore. But 20, 25 years ago, there was a lot of people that were focusing on what strongholds need. There was a lot of teaching, a lot of preaching, a lot of talk about strongholds, pulling down strongholds. And a lot of the talk and a lot of the preaching was talking about pulling down strongholds in prayer. There was teaching that was prevalent and very popular concerning praying over your city and pulling down the devil's strongholds over your city. Well, folks, that's not what Paul's talking about here. There are some things that we can do in prayer. There are some things that we can accomplish in prayer when the Holy Ghost helps us. But the strongholds that Paul's talking about here are the things, the wrong thoughts and the wrong beliefs that have built up in the minds of some Christians, some believers. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. How are we going to pull down strongholds? Verse, verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, every thought, every thought to the obedience of Christ. See, the strongholds that the devil sets up in, in our lives, your life and mine, are wrong thoughts. He tries to get us to buy into wrong thinking. Because if he can't get us to buy into wrong thinking, he has no influence over us whatsoever. None whatsoever. This is, just like Paul said in Ephesians 6, this is the road that he travels. And it's the only one he can get on. It's the only road that he travels. He's trying to affect your thought life. He's trying to rob you of the things of God, the blessings of God, by attacking your thought life. That's why I said one of the most important things in receiving from God is having an answer for whatever the, the devil brings at you. Now, how are we going to get the answers? How are we going to know what the answers are? Well, we see an example of what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4 after he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. 
He went out in the wilderness for four days, 40 days. And after those 40 days, the devil came and he tempted him. And remember, the first temptation was, if you're the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. And Jesus answered and said, thou shalt not live by bread alone. It is written, thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Same thing with the second temptation. Jesus was taken by the devil to the pinnacle of the temple. And the devil tempted him and said, throw yourself down if you are the son of God. In other words, make a dramatic entrance into Jerusalem. Because it is written, the angels will bear you up in their wings lest you dash your foot against a stone. But Jesus was too smart for his trickery. He was too smart for his deception. He answered back and said, it's also written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Three different temptations, the same three responses. In each case, Jesus said, it is written. Why in the world did Jesus use the word to resist the devil? He's the son of God. Why didn't he just use his son of God power and get rid of the devil or extract himself from that situation where he was being tempted? Because, folks, Jesus came to the earth to live as a man, anointed of the Holy Ghost, just like you and I can, with the same authority that man has. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus laid aside his heavenly power and glory and came to the earth, humbled himself, and came to the earth as a man to complete God's plan of redemption. If Jesus was not all man, then he couldn't be a worthy sacrifice for mankind. Jesus didn't die on the cross as God. He died on the cross as the Son of Man. Sixty-five times in the four Gospels, Jesus is referred to or refers to himself as either the Son of God or the Son of Man. Sixty of those times, he calls himself the Son of Man. Of the other five where he identified himself as the Son of God, three of those were in the same setting, the same story. So Jesus, by far, identified himself to the people, to the mankind here on the earth, as the Son of Man, not the Son of God. Then that means Jesus is going to be susceptible to the same temptations that, you, that come against you and I in the same way that the devil tempts. When Jesus laid aside his heavenly power and glory, the Bible said Jesus was tempted in all points just like we are. Every temptation you've ever experienced, Jesus experienced it also. He experienced it before you did. So when Paul is telling us by the Holy Ghost, he's telling us this is the only road the devil travels. So set up your defenses here. Set up your defenses here. Cast down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Did you notice that phrase, high things? One of the things the modern day church has completely backwards is the idea of humility versus arrogance. See, humility, as far as the Bible is concerned, is accepting what God says about you, no matter what you look like to yourself, no matter how you feel about it. Humility is to submit yourself to the Word. Turn with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, let's start reading in, well, the last part of verse 6. It says, God resists the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, I think a lot of people focus on the resist the devil part and think, wouldn't that be wonderful? But the Bible tells you how to resist the devil. And the way that this verse says is to submit yourself to God. Well, God and his word are one. You can't submit yourself to God and take sides against his word. So therefore, submitting yourself to God must be, at least in part, submitting yourself to the word. Now, how do we do that? How do we submit ourselves to the word? Well, let's use an example that we've already mentioned. Let's talk about righteousness for a moment. The Bible says that Jesus was made sin for you as your substitute so that you might be made the righteousness of God in him. So as far as heaven is concerned, righteousness is a settled issue. When you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you are made the righteousness of God in him. Now that doesn't take into account any of your feelings. doesn't take into account any of the teachings that we've heard, right or wrong. It doesn't take anything else into account. It simply says Jesus was put in a position where he died for your sake. He was made sin so that he could pay the penalty and the price for sin so that you could be made the righteousness of God in him. Well, the devil doesn't help you much on that regard, does he? I've never had the devil come to me and say, well, I'm going to leave you alone today because you know you're righteous. Just doesn't work like that, does it? So what happens? Most of the church muddles along trying to do the best they can so that they don't feel too bad about themselves. But if you ask most Christians whether or not they are the righteousness of God in Christ, they'll, they may know they're supposed to, but it's half-hearted to get their hands even raised a little bit. And the reasons for that is because the devil has deceived people into thinking that if you still stumble into sin, you can't be righteous. But since righteousness didn't come by you and I being good or doing the right things other than accepting Jesus, then wrongdoing on our part is unable to take that righteousness away from us. But that's the road the devil travels. And here he travels this road to try to deceive us into thinking that submission to God is just taking whatever comes, just accepting everything as the will of God. Well, sickness has come against me. I guess God wants to teach me something. Instead of saying it is written, Jesus bore our infirmities and carried our diseases, and with his stripes we are healed. Submit yourselves to God and resist the devil. The resisting of the devil can't take place unless we submit ourselves to God and to his word. And that's what Jesus did when he was tempted of the devil. Three times, three different temptations. Jesus answered, it is written. Why didn't Jesus say, I'm the son of God? Why didn't Jesus just say, the devil certainly knows who he is. He said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Why didn't Jesus look at him and just say, well, I am the son of God, so I'm not going to listen to you. Why didn't he do that? Why did he use the word of God as a shield, as a means whereby he could overcome the temptation? Why did he do that? Because the word of God was given to man, not for himself. The word of God wasn't for God, even the son of God. 
The word of God was for man. Man's the one that has authority on the earth. Genesis 1.26 says, God said, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness and let him have dominion over the earth and the works of our hands. Man was given authority here. You're the one with authority. That's why the devil tries so hard to trick us. Because he doesn't want us to have experience in exercising our authority and, and winning battles or winning victories over him because then we're a real threat if we begin to operate like Jesus did. So submit yourselves to God. Submit yourselves to the Word. You are what the Word says you are. You are who the Word has declared you to be. That's who you are, whether you ever feel like it or not, whether your mind ever agrees with it or not. See, folks, the renewed mind is not the one that always has the right thoughts. The renewed mind is the one that says, first and foremost, no matter what situation arises, what does the Word say? That's how you attend to his words. Let me show you over in 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter says the same things. He's inspired by the Holy Ghost. 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll start reading in the last part of verse 5. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that you may be able, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant. The word sober, the root, the root word, of the, the Greek word that's translated sober, means not moved by emotion. Now emotions are great things, but they're a poor guide. So he says be sober, not moved by emotion, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Notice verse 8. The devil is a roaring lion. doesn't say he is a lion. It says he roars like a lion. As a roaring lion, lion, he walks about the earth seeking whom he may devour. Why is he looking for somebody? See, if the devil has the power that he tells us he has, if the devil has the power that much of the modern-day church agrees that he has, then how is it that he's looking for whom he may devour? Wouldn't he just be devouring everybody? If he is who he claims to be, wouldn't he just be devouring everybody no matter what they thought or no matter what they wanted or what action they took to resist him? If the devil has all the power, then why is he looking for somebody he may devour? The word may, look it up. The word may there simply denotes he's looking for somebody to give him permission when I was in the third grade, we had a teacher that was very, very rules-oriented. I mean, she was a drill sergeant. And there would be times where I would lift my hand and say, Mrs. Smith, can I go to the bathroom? And she would always respond, I don't know. Can you? Well, it was kind of hard to catch on when you're about to use the bathroom on yourself. But I finally came to understand what she was saying. She was trying to identify for us. The word can denotes ability. The word may is looking for permission. And folks, that's exactly what these words are in the Greek. The devil is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. The devil is looking for you to give him permission to eat you up. The devil is looking for you to give him permission to succumb to his influence or succumb to his attacks. 
Now, what does that mean? That means you're the one with authority. That means he's looking to do the same thing to you that he did to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Certainly, Adam and Eve had authority over the earth, not the devil. The devil wasn't even mentioned. He was present in the earth when, the, when God recreated the earth in six days. He was here. He was watching everything that was going on. But he had no place here. He had no authority whatsoever. So unless he can trick Adam to misusing his authority, the devil never would ha have had any access to the earth whatsoever. So what's the road that he travels? Since the devil works the same way all the time, that means the way he worked with Adam and Eve is the way he's going to work with you and me. The way he worked against Adam and Eve is the way he's going to work against you and me. What did he do to Adam? He deceived Adam into using his authority in the wrong way. He deceived Adam into misusing the authority that God gave him and brought the creation under the bondage of the law of sin and death. What's he trying to do to you then? Same thing. He's trying to trick you. He's trying to deceive you. And much of it is done through debate. He's trying to argue you, with you, out-argue you, if you will, so that he can lead you into something that's other than what God has provided for us. Submit yourself to the, to the God. Submit yourself to the Word. And resist the devil. And he'll flee from you. So here it says, Whom resist in the steadfast in the faith? Verse 9. Since we know the devil is trying to trick us, since we know that the battleground is in the mind, what should we do? Well, the Bible tells us to resist the devil just like Jesus did. To use the Word of God as a defense. To use the Word of God as protection. To quote the devil, quote to the devil what the Word says, just like Jesus did. Everything that we have come against us should be, and if you want to walk in victory, must be, the answer that the Word gives us. It is written. It is written. Now back to Proverbs chapter 4. The Holy Ghost inspired the writer of Proverbs. Some people think it's David. Others people think it's Solomon. Either way, it's inspired by the Holy Ghost, so it doesn't matter to me who is having this written for them. My son, attend to my words. That means attend to the word of God other than the high things that would exalt itself against the word. Now, as we mentioned before, the world's got things ever, all this stuff backwards. They think that humbling themselves before God is accepting anything and everything that comes. But really, humbling yourself before God is to accept the truth of the word. To accept what the word says about you. And Paul inspired by the Holy Ghost, said that high things was anything that, that contradicted the Word of God. The high things that we're supposed to resist and cast down are the things that say you can't do what God says you can do. It's the work of the devil that says you can't have what God has provided for you. You can't be who the Bible says you've been made. Those are the high things. Those are the proud things. Those are the haughty things. Now, the world thinks that that's, a, that's humility. The world thinks that humility, and when I say the word, the world, I'm talking about the modern-day church, really. Overall, the, the church thinks that humility means that you don't think very well of yourself. You don't think of yourself as righteous. You don't think of yourself as equal with God. You don't think of yourself as having any authority. 
You certainly don't think of yourself as being created in the image of God. You don't think any of those things, even though that's what the Word says is true. But whereas the church world thinks that that's humility, the Holy Ghost says those are high things that exalt itself against the knowledge of the Word. See, folks, what the Word says you are, that's who you really are. For you to say you're not, for any reason, what, choose your reason. If it's because of the way that you have been taught, if it's because of the way you feel, what you do feel, what you don't feel, whatever the reason, whatever the cause, to take sides against God's Word is called a high thing. And the devil is able to make strongholds in our lives only in the places where we take sides against God's Word. So to pull down those strongholds, to clear the path, so that you can walk in victory and walk in the authority that God has given us. The only way to do that is to pull down those wrong thoughts. Jesus talking to the, um, the Pharisees on one occasion accused them of ref refusing or rejecting the word because of their reasonings. He said it this way. I, I, I'm not going to quote it exactly right, I don't think, but it's pretty close. He said, you have made the word of God of none effect by your traditions. That word traditions means preconceived notions or thoughts. So think about what that means. The word of God is the most powerful thing in the universe. It's the reason, it's the means by which the universe was created. It's the most powerful thing there is. But you can negate the power of God's word through wrong thoughts. He says about them that through their traditions, the way that they've got it figured out, which Paul calls by the Holy Ghost, calls high things that should be cast down, they have created or allowed to be created strongholds in their minds to such a degree that the Word of God, the most powerful thing in the universe, can't get through to them. Now, I'm sure what they were doing would be called and identified by some, many perhaps, as being humble. But that kind of humility will rob you of the blessings of God. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, I believe it is, says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Now, I want you to notice the relationship between the mind, the word, and trust or faith. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. How do you keep your mind on God? How do you keep your mind in the place that it should be and, and, and is supposed to be? By looking unto the promises of God. By renewing your mind to the truth of who you are and what belongs to you. Rather than allowing yourself to be deceived and influenced by the devil. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Notice that the phrase, the last phrase, because he trusts in thee. The renewed mind is the mind that trusts in God. The renewed mind is not the one that argues with what, whether or not we feel righteous or whether or not healing belongs to us. The renewed mind says God's word says it, so that settles it. And the Bible calls that trusting in God. My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear unto its sayings. No matter whatever else you hear in the world, no matter whatever else the devil brings to your mind, incline your ear to the word first. 
Don't let anything contradict the truth of the word in your life. Submit yourselves to God and then resist the devil and he'll, free, he'll flee from you. Folks, the mind is the battleground of faith. You're going to have to, we all have to, come to the place where we answer the devil's accusations. We answer the devil's questions with what the word says about us. That's what Jesus did. If it worked for Jesus, seems like it ought to work for us. If that's the method that Jesus used when the devil came to him, then for goodness sakes, it should be the same thing for us. We shouldn't be trying to find some, something else or some other way to resist the devil. We ought to follow Jesus' example. Amen? My son, attend unto my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from before your eyes. See yourself with the answer. Brother Hagin talking about his, uh, his healing when he was a teenager, he became bedridden. There were a lot of things that were wrong with him. There were certain diseases that he had because he was born so premature and malnourished. There were parts of his body, his internal organs that had never formed properly or correctly. He had all kinds of problems that he was dealing with. And, and the doctors really couldn't do anything about many of them at all. They tried to give him a little bit of treatment, a little bit of help, but there was so much wrong with him that there wasn't much chance or hope for recovery. In fact, the doctors gave him zero chance of recovery. They let the family know that, according to medical uh, journals and so forth, people that had the kind of things that he had never lived past age 16. Well, he's 16. He's bedridden at age 16. And by the time this event that I'm telling you about came to pass, he had gotten a little bit of use of his hands so he could read the word. He could kind of scoot the pages over in the Bible that was in his lap. And he knew, he had come to the place where he knew the answer was in the word. And he came across these scriptures in Proverbs chapter 4. Attending to the word was not hard. He understood how to do that. Inclining your ear to its sayings, God's sayings, he understood that. But the one that he ran up against, the one that was the biggest hindrance for him was the one about not letting the word depart from before your eyes. Because of the things that he's been taught, because of the diagnosis and the condition that he had, he saw himself die. He saw himself dying. He saw his, his grave. He saw him being buried. He saw the seasons uh, change in the cemetery over his grave. He said that was the hardest thing for him to, come to, uh, to overcome. He said, I knew that the Bible was telling me that I had to see myself well. It, he said it took him months to come to the place where he could really see himself well. And it was a short time after that that the healing power of God raised him up. You've got to see yourself with the answer. You've got to see yourself with, with what the Word says. And folks, I would recommend that you start on that, not just to receive something from God, but to renew your mind to who the Word says you are. You need to see yourself righteous, not just see yourself well. You need to see yourself the way that the Bible says about everything concerning you. You need to see yourself with authority here on the earth. 
You need to see yourself with the power of God at your disposal. You need to see yourself the way that the Bible describes, in every way the Bible describes you to be. Now, a lot of people in the church world will tell you that's arrogance. But the Bible calls that humility. You're submitting yourself to who God says you are. Mankind might not like it much. Religious people sure won't like it. But God is challenging you and me to see ourselves and accept ourselves to be what the Bible says we are. My son attended in my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from before your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. And when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about your spirit. So when it says keep the word of God in the midst of your heart, it means don't let anything come out of your mouth other than what the word says. It has more to do with controlling your tongue than anything else. See, to keep your heart with all diligence, as verse 23 goes on to say, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it come the issues of life. It's talking about the words that you speak. Remember the principles of faith. Jesus said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, shall not doubt in his heart, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. The principle is believe with the heart and say with the mouth. So when the Bible talks about keeping your heart, keeping the word of God in the midst of your heart, it's saying only say. Because speaking, the use of your words is the way we exercise our authority here on the earth. So don't ever let any words come out of your mouth that contradict what the Bible says about you or what you have. Keep the word in the midst of your heart. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it flow the issues of life. For out of it flow spiritual forces. When you say you're healed, it puts the healing power of God to work in your body. When you say you're set free, it puts the delivering power of God at work in your flesh or in your life. When you say it, it's not enough that God said it. You've got to agree with him. When you say it, that's when the power of God is released. That's when the power of God and the authority that God gave mankind is put to work. The, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Folks, I know we, we focus on that and talk about that as have, let it, allowing the Bible to, uh, to uh, interpret itself. But there's another way that we can apply that as well. And that's this. When God said the word, when God pronounced you to be healed by the stripes of Jesus. It was settled in heaven. When you say the same thing, that you were healed by the stripes of Jesus, it settles it in the earth. There's two witnesses. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. That's what brings the establishing of, your word, of the word of God to bear in your life. It's not enough that God said it. It's not enough for it to be true because God said it. We've got to agree and say it of ourselves as well. Keep them, keep my words in the midst of your heart. Notice the results. It says, for they are life unto those that find them. The word of God is life unto those that find them. A lot of people, Christians, well-meaning, sincere, love God with all their heart, love people too. A lot of those people will never find the life of God's word as it's intended for their physical life here on the earth. Not everybody finds the life in, in God's word beyond salvation. 
but they are life unto those that find them. And their health, the word health means medicine to all their flesh. Think about what the Bible is telling us, folks. The Bible says, the Holy Ghost, who is the author of the Scripture, the Holy Ghost is telling us that the Word is the answer no matter what affliction you're in, no matter what sickness or disease comes against you, no matter what circumstance you're facing, the Word is always the answer. The Word, they are life unto those that find them in health or medicine to all their flesh. That means the Word is the answer for colds and cancer. That means the Word is the answer for skin disease as well as bones. The Word is the answer for everything from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. No matter what the devil has brought against you, no matter what symptoms you're facing, no matter what the circumstances of our lives are, the Word is always the answer. That's why it's so important that we keep it first place in our lives. Because the Word is always the answer. Health to all of our flesh. That means the Word of God is health to brain cells or stubbed toes. It's the answer for anything and everything that comes against us. Well, since it's the answer for all of those things, since it's the answer, shouldn't we dwell on it? Shouldn't we focus on the fact that the Bible says Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we're healed? If the doctor gives you medicine and tells you to take it twice a day or whatever, People are quick to obey that. Well, how much more should we give credibility and give first place in our lives to the Word of God, which is the answer for any sickness, any and every disease? It's the answer for anything the devil brings against us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your Word. It is life unto us, and it is health to all our flesh. So we declare, Father, that we were healed by the stripes of Jesus. Even as your word declares, so do we declare it. You said, Father, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word should be established. The first witness was when you said it and proclaimed it. The second witness is now when we say it and proclaim it. We declare that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. We declare that the word of God, the power of God, is raising our bodies up. We declare, Father, even as you said, that you are raising us up, that you are bringing to bear through the Word of God by the actions of our heart, the beliefs of our heart, and the words of our mouths, we declare that it's so, that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. We love you, Father. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. Thanks for being with us.